Hey, this is John F. Murs, author, actor, and owner of 1021 Studios, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. We're going to talk about dreams. They're peaceful, right? Well, but we've all been there. We wake up from a terrifying nightmare, but we tell ourselves it was all a dream. Unless it wasn't. That's a subject that we'll be diving into with Kenneth Kane and Tim Meyer. They're the editors of Never Wake, a collection of horror through Crystal Lake Publishing. Uh, Ken, Tim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you guys here. Thanks for having us. All right. So I want to just kind of open by just asking how this whole thing came to be in the first place, because uh, you've got a great selection of writers that have contributed their stories to this book. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, so um, I guess I've always kind of been obsessed with with dreams and uh, especially like movies that have to do with dreams like Nightmare on Elm Street, The Cell, just a lot of those trippy, dreamy, kind of psychedelic uh, movies and, and literature as well. So um, I had never seen any dream horror anthologies before and uh, I'd been wanting to edit one for a while so um, I kind of brought the idea to Ken uh, and then Ken kind of uh, went through Crystal Lake because he had a relationship with them and pitched it to them and they were into it and so we basically just decided to kickstart the project and we just made a list of all the authors that we like our dream authors that we really wanted to have in the anthology and um, surprisingly the the ones at the top pretty much said yes. So uh, that's kind of how it, it started. Dream authors. I see what you did there. <laughs> no pun intended. Right, right. You know, I'm curious as, as to the genre of dream horror because I don't think I've ever read any dream, any dream horror before. So how would you describe these kinds of stories? And they range, really. I mean, uh, you know, you, you would think you would get the obvious ones like The Nightmare on Elm Street, but we actually got very few of those. And we got some really trippy uh, stories where you can't tell what's the dream and what's not. And we got some stories where uh, the dream is very literal, you know, like a dream world and, uh, and stories um, like all ends of the spectrum, like dark fantasy and dark, dark science fiction, like, uh, and some apostolary, uh, it was just a really great selection of, of stories that you wouldn't have expected, you know? Cool. Cool. Any particular authors that you think are sort of like the main eventers when it comes to dream? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> That's like the tough question now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe like I wrote a lot of John Lang and stuff and like his stuff is always kind of like very surreal and has like this this kind of dreamlike quality. Um, I like last year for the first time I read The Fisherman, which is like I think it won the Stoker Award for, for best novel of the year it came out. But um, and that was just like super kind of trippy and uh, like cosmic horror in a cosmic horror sort of way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've read um, uh, like Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin, I think her name is. Um, that's also it's kind of like a literary, um, not so much horror, but it was very trippy. Um, also, like, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, I'm like a big fan of like Fear and Love in Las Vegas, and that's probably like the trippiest you could probably get um 
and I watched that Literally. movie like every <laughs> year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, authors like that um, in horror. Yeah, I'd probably say like Langan, like Laird Barron, who was um, supposed to be in the anthology, um, but he had to back out um, for personal reasons. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff out there that you can read that's like dreamlike horror. Ken, uh, same question. Oh, you know, uh, I've recently read uh, Kathy Koja's The Cipher, and uh, mm. and that book itself, I mean, there's uh, some dream sequences in there, but that whole book is really uh, just crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I really like that. I, I agree, Langan. Uh, that's like, The Fisherman's like one of my favorite books, so I, I love that book. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's good. All right, then let's talk about the authors that we have that are part of this collection because you've got some great names, a few of them known to me, Philip Fracassi and uh, Todd Kiesling, two, uh, two actually like, former guests of the show, and their books are just phenomenal. But why these writers? What about their work made you say, hey, these are the guys that we want to be uh, working with? Uh, I mean, for me, I, I think it was just uh, I'm fans. As a, as a reader, someone who reads, you know, almost 80 books a year um I, i'm just a fan of their work and uh everyone who we invited is just like like the cream of the crop to to us so like uh like for Kasi stuff is is great i love his stuff um he, he wrote a really cool story about a dream journal in this one and uh he really knocked it out of the park um but yeah like everyone we were just for me it was more just like i'm just fans of their work and um i just want to kind of highlight them and in, in a cool anthology so that's what it was for me cool cool could you give a few more examples as to the kinds of stories that are in this book yeah i mean we've got uh there's one about a, a dream pillow um which yeah. is cool like yeah it's like about this company that makes like these dreaming pillows that that make you dream weird stuff and uh what about one... a test subject like a a, a yeah. pill test testing thing yeah um tj simphel who's um he's actually a screenwriter i think this was his first published like story in an anthology um he wrote a uh it, it's it's like a questionnaire from like a an exper like a dream experiment and it's all about your dreams and it's like the main character is like answering all the questionnaire and uh it's like it's a little bit repetitive but like the answers are just like it's humorous at times and then it just gets like downright terrifying um that was a really cool story love story there's like a love story from uh from like life to death and the in the in between uh Cena's story. Yep. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Um but it, like the variety is is really cool too. I'm glad like every story feels so different from the other one. I think that was I think I'm still on the dream pillow one. Who beta tests that thing? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually um, a really cool idea. I mean it's yeah. Angela, I think, wrote that one. Yeah, I think Angela Lee is the uh is the author of that one. That's and, that's yeah. a that's a cool concept, I gotta say. I, I I think I would actually buy one of those things. If if I can control <laughs> what happens. If I can't, maybe maybe uh, not so much. <laughs> yeah. I would totally buy it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I suffer from a bit of insomnia, so this was like oh. the perfect technology for me. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't have that problem, but I often will have like work dreams. 
So I'll just dream oh, about yeah, going yeah. to work and I'll wake up like, oh, shit. And I'll have to spend like a, a half hour figuring out what was actually real and what was in the dream. So, yeah. I used to work at Pepperidge Farm uh, when I was in, in high school, overall in college, putting the lids on the cookies. So you would just go like this all day. Oh, God. Like all day long for your shift and, uh, oh. well, overnight. And I would go to bed and I would just see that, you know, it would just be like that music from the old Bugs Bunny. Dun, 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 dun. You know, <laughs> like, oh my god, Jeez, that's a nightmare. I think. Oh, holy oh, shit! Yeah. Holy shit! Um, now, now, uh, some of these names, like you mentioned, are 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 definitely um, uh, well known in the horror genre. But I'm curious if there's any like newcomers. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I mentioned, uh, T.J. Simfell, who wrote uh, the story. Thank you for participating. Um, he, he's a screenwriter. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he said that this was his first like sale as a as like a fiction writer um so that's pretty cool he what movie did he, he write recently there's something wrong with the children i don't know if you've heard of that one. Oh yeah i think that yeah, yeah 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 he wrote that or co-wrote that um which was actually a pretty cool movie um man i don't know if there's anybody else that was like brand new there's a couple um, of people. I thought there was somebody who was their first pro sale. Was it uh maybe Jara? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe Jara. That was like one of her first sales. Um so cool. yeah, there's a few in there that that haven't published a lot. Nice. That's for sure. Nice. All right. Of course, uh you guys are veterans in this field. Uh Ken, you're an author, editor, Andrew Manch, Crystal Lakes, newest imprint, Torrid Waters. Tim, yep. I could spend all day to talk about all the books you've done, but it's quite a few. Malignant <laughs> Summer, The Switch House, Dead Daughters, Limbs, a whole lot more. How does that experience help you guys as the editor for this collection of, of uh, stories? So, like, I've, I've, uh, I kind of fell into editing, right? Like, I didn't plan on it. Like, I just, I, I, you know, some, when a friend asked me to edit his story, and then he was like, I love it. I'm going to tell Joe and Joe and crystal lake was like hey edit tales from lake five and then it's just been like this series of people asking me to edit things ever since um and i think it's because you know quite frankly when i started out writing i made a lot of mistakes so i've kind of taken this wealth of knowledge. every time i make a mistake i would go out and try to find the answer and uh so i've kind of taken this wealth of knowledge and built an editor you know an editor position out of it and so um i think that that's really what helped me with editing is uh just having made so many mistakes and learned from them and grown as a, as a writer. And, um, you know, every, there's like a lesson in every story. Sorry, my dogs are freaking out. <laughs> there's like a lesson in every story, you know? And, uh, and I think that that just keeps, it, it's helped me out with my writing immensely. So, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, this was the the first gig I've had as an editor um, in a, in a, in official capacity um so yeah i mean i think just you know writing a lot and reading a lot obviously helped out so um it's hard to articulate a specific uh, thing that that helped me out during the course but also i kind of relied on on ken a lot during the process because he's you know so experienced doing it i i just kind of you know leaned on him throughout and uh he kind of 
took me under his wing, so to speak. And <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I I actually like uh, that I'm talking to a first-time editor because I've been doing this for a long time on the journalism side of things. What's your approach to like looking at these stories and like making changes? Um, so our process was Ken pretty much took the first crack at the stories, and um, I basically just went in there after and just kind of cleaned up like like i basically just did like line edits um if there was you know any missing words or um just small grammatical stuff and uh and you know typos things like that um so ken did a lot of the heavy lifting in the actual editing process uh so which was good for me because i got to you know sit back and kind of learn the way he edits and and all the notes that he included, and it kind of got my mind like thinking differently um, how I approach editing. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it was more of a learning experience than it was anything else. But um, yeah, I still enjoyed it, and I, I definitely learned a ton from it. All right, Ken. Um, how about you? Um, like you're obviously um, um, experience of this. How do you approach editing someone else's work? Well, I always try to go at it from like three different angles. Like I want to go at it from like the editor's angle, but I also want to look at it from like the, ang the angle of a writer and the angle of a reader, you know? So I'm trying to like find that middle ground without taking away the, the writer's voice. Um, you know, I don't want to make it my story, right? I don't want my vision to come through. I want to just take their vi vision and polish it a little bit. That's usually what my goal is. Um, you know, if it, you know, if you have a plot hole or something like that, that's a little bit bigger, heavy lifting, you know, things like that. But I try not to to take the story away from the writer. That's really my biggest approach, you know. Yeah, I agree because I have the same problem when I'm dealing with a reporter story. Like I want to change it and clean it up. You got your way of doing things, and as long as it, as long as it's suitable, then it's cool, you know. So, but. But they're and you, you want their voice to come through, right? Because it's a unique voice. Every, every writer has a unique voice, and you just want that voice to come through, and you just want to make sure that it comes through clean and clear. Mm -hmm. You know. Have you ever had an instance where you've dealt with like someone's work, and for whatever reason, it's just like uh, not clicking? Like, what do you tell them if if the story is just not working? Mm. <laughs> so I've not, I've not had a, like a lot of pushback over the years, uh, um, just a few times, but, and usually that's, you know, like a, a difference of opinion for like a factual thing. Um, and you know how that goes to, you know, being an editor for reporting, like sometimes like the facts just don't add up. Like it's just logically not possible. And you're like, well, this can happen and you'll get that. But, uh, uh, I, I don't really ever, I, I don't really ever have that kind of, well, just once I had a situation, I can't really talk about it, but I had this situation where we just couldn't move past it and the story just wasn't working. But for the most part, I'm always able to find, you know, the logical way. I mean, you're, you're, when you're, when you have a wealth of stories, like, you know, 700, a thousand stories to choose from, you, uh, you know, you tend to pass on those stories more often than not. Sometimes you might want to say, you know, and we did this, I think, with one of, one of the stories here. We were like, hey, we really got to work with this one because it's a cool idea. You know, like I have that going on with Toward Waters right now. There's a couple of uh, books that I really want to work on that are just really interesting, right? And they got cool ideas, but maybe they need a little bit more work. But I think that, you know, as long as you respect the writer's voice and you let them have a voice in the process, I think that you can almost always come up with something that's satisfactory between the two of you. Mm -hmm. 
I think I think for in one case in our and Ken, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we we asked someone to change like the POV because we yeah, had like too sure. many first person, so we asked them to change it to third, and like yeah. they were cool with it. And it actually, I think the story actually worked better in third. Um, but yeah, like I thought that was cool, hmm. like a cool thing that we did. And that's part of the process. You know, sometimes you just get a feel like, and you're like, man, this is a cool idea, but it just doesn't make sense to have it in this perspective. Right. Yeah. On the change it or the tense, you know, so like I I had that with a a writer with a book I was editing recently. She had written the book in first person, like this, you know, 70,000 word book all in first person from multiple perspectives, like 11 perspectives. And I was like, let's just take that down to, you know, to one perspective and make it, you know, third person. And it's so much better. And it couldn't be had. It was one of those things where you finish it and you read it and, and you're like just in tears because it's so good. 11 POVs to one. That's going to be a huge shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really confusing. You know, it's really hard to like, and this was her first book. So that happens. But like, it's really hard to get those uh, different perspectives to uh, to sound different from each other, right? And that was the problem. They all sounded alike. So you just were going and going and you're like, there's no difference between these, no uniqueness. That's the same person just with a different name. Exactly. I mean, like how, how do you tell them all apart if they all sound like the same person? Yeah, I can see that. Right. And then, you know, like a more seasoned writer, I think it has, you know, like Stephen King, obviously, and like it, right? <laughs> like all those characters sound unique. You know, they're all different. They all have different lives and and I think that's something that you learn how to do over time. And, you know, very few writers, I think, come out of the gate being able to do that. So. Oh, yeah. No, no one ever gets to write the first time. Never. It's always <laughs> like like when I started out as a reporter, what I did then versus what I do now, it's just night and friggin day. I mean, like the, I think someone someone said it once. I think it's pretty accurate. The first draft of everything is shit. <laughs> that's, that's, that's accurate and I think it's very yeah. true actually yeah yeah. I'm I'm sure if you asked Stephen King about his first book he'd be like nope it never happened it never happened <laughs> I'm not yeah. talking about that um, okay so uh, going going back to this collection um, uh, again you have a ton of um, uh, great writers but were there some that, could, that uh, couldn't make it or some that for whatever reason um, they just couldn't be a part of, of this particular collection but Laird is the obvious one because yep. yep. he had health issues. And, uh, yeah. yep. and he was really gracious about it and everything. I mean, we, we tried to give him as much time as possible. And he was just like, I just don't think I can do it. And yeah. he, you know, he supported the book. He uh, he shared it on social media. And, uh, you know, that's part of the thing when you were talking to, uh, when Tim was talking about, like, how we select authors. Like, a lot of times for me, like, I've edited, like, a lot of people in this in this genre. So for me, it's like collecting baseball cards sometimes. And I still haven't got that Laird Baron, you know what I mean? I want that Laird Baron. <laughs> so. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Baseball cards. <laughs> That's so cool. All right. How about the order of, of the stories? Are these in a particular order? They are. How, how did we arrange that? I, for, I kind of forget. I think we just kind of like... Well, you we had like, like a very... number system. Uh, he had a number system. I had a number system. And we kind of just went... We had like, I think like 10 different tries at it before we found one that we liked yeah you have like a specific um like arrangement of how you think like story should go um so like we kind of played with that 
and then I think yeah, we did a lot of shuffling like back and forth and in, in like a in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough getting it down. But yeah, we but knew we wanted to. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, like, the only thing that we knew is like we wanted uh, for Cassie's story to to be the ending one because, um, the the word count was our our limit was 4,500 words, I think, and he turned in like a 9,000 word story, um, and he was like, it's like I'm sorry, I just you know I I just that's how it came out, and we're like, all right, that's cool, whatever. So we wanted it to kind of like, it's like a novelette, it's not even like a short story, so we wanted that to be kind of like the one that, that brings the anthology home, and we had both decided that like really early on, but as far as the rest of them, it was kind of like chaotic. It's a little hard, right, because you want to come out of the gates with like something that hits hard, but you want to leave them with something that they are thinking about, mm. and then all in between, like, you know, not every story is going to be like you know, like the top, like a hundred percent. Sometimes you have one that's like 85%. So you like kind of shoulder it with like stronger stories because you're always trying to string the reader along throughout the whole anthology. And uh, that's my, my kind of goal with the whole thing is just trying to keep the reader interested and, uh, and, and with a variety, like, you know, the last thing you want is like, if, if you have like a, like five pillow stories, you don't want to have them all in a bunch. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. We only had one pillow story. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh one of the things we did think about too was um because a lot of the pieces in here are are experimental in terms of like structure or just like the content itself. So we didn't want um too many like experimental stories like back to back cuz that for a reader could get like to be a little bit much. So we wanted to kind of do like a more traditional story and then an experimental story and then kind of like piece them together that way uh which story opens it uh that would be hold on hold on is that peterson's story i think yes uh she who brings the rain by Kristen peterson Ooh, great title i like that yeah, yeah. A great story. and uh what's uh that story about it's um very trippy and psychedelic and it, it, it's I wouldn't say it's very experimental, but it's very like it feels it has like this very dreamlike uh, quality to it, and um, it's basically about a woman who is like on a seaside town, sort of, and uh, she like kind of discovers this this thing. I don't want to give too much away because it's yeah. it's short, and but uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, it gives way too much. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's very. It's probably one of the more like literary stories I think mm. in it. Um, it was just very beautifully written, and um, I think that was like one of the ones that we both said yes to like really early on. It was yeah. like this: we have to have this for this anthology. When it came to the uh, when it came to the final order, like how did you know you kind of hit it? Like how did you know? Okay, this is it. We're going with it. No more tries. I don't know if there was like a specific just... moment. Mm. It was just, yeah, it was just one of those things we just tried and tried and tried again until we kind of, and like I said, we were both making up orders. And when we found that we had kind of like a, uh, and that's how it was with a lot of the selections too. Like we did a lot of things blindly. We we, uh, we both came up with the, the stories that we wanted to accept blindly and then compared notes. And we were, you know, 100% on most of those. So we really had came down to like three or four stories that we had to, had to, to convince each other to, to take, you know, and thankfully, uh, to be honest, Tim, Tim had, uh, the majority of those and I agreed with him. 
when, when we started getting into it. Same thing with the order. You know, he blindly picked an order. I blindly picked an order and it didn't match. So we kept going until we found one that we kind of agreed on. And then we could fill in the blanks from there, you know. All right. I'm not going to ask your favorite story because I'm sure that is impossible to answer. I will ask, though, <laughs> if someone had to say, okay, what should I begin with? Or what is a good kind of example that I should like dive into first before reading like the rest of them? I like so many of these. I mean, that's right. the thing. Like, yeah. Everybody always asks, what's your favorite? And I've changed it, I think, in every show because I love them all. Yeah. And, and you know, it's whichever one's like hitting with you at the moment. But like, I, I really love uh, like Angela's story, like we were talking about earlier, the pillow story. I know mm -hmm. that one's been really popular lately. It's got really just a fun feel to it with the, just, just that slight bit of horror, right? So I, I like that. Let me see. What other ones do you like really a lot, Tim? I like Permanent Ink a lot. That was a really fun story. Yes, the tattoo one you liked a lot. Um, I, I, I like them all. Mm. Um, I think one of the ones that that I've been recommending a lot is the um, the one that TJ wrote with the um, the uh, post experiment thing um but yeah uh i don't know there's so many good ones uh joe koch wrote a one called arm and grabber and it's like a uh it's very sci-fi it's probably the most sci-fi story it takes place in, in like a spaceship and uh that one is just kind of crazy and, and trippy and i enjoy that a lot too we've done like a lot of these podcasts and like everyone always like asks what our favorite story is and i've been trying to like hit them all to give them each like their fair their fair due and i don't think i i Catherine gave... mccarthy's is uh so good too and yeah heartbreaking story so that's a good one there's a few heartbreakers in this one yeah that one definitely hits you in the in the feels <laughs> okay all right then let us talk about cover art because i'm looking at the cover right now for this book and holy shit this is one of the best covers, if not the best cover. Like, this thing is, like, poster-worthy, I would say. How did the cover come to be? I've worked with Don Noble a lot. Um, he's done a few of my covers, like the Switch House. Uh, I think he did the original Dead Daughters cover. Um, just he's, he's done sort of a bunch of covers for me and some work for me. So uh, I reached out to him because he – a lot of this stuff is very – psychedelic and, and trippy and it has like that that feel to it so i thought he was like the perfect choice and so um yeah we reached out to him and, and he was into it and i don't think we gave him like any direction whatsoever it was kind of just like hey <laughs> here's the description of the book you know we want it trippy and dreamy and it's gonna be like a little bit of everything like horror fantasy sci-fi so uh, just whatever you come up with is, is probably going to be good for us. And he just crushed it. <laughs> it's so good. And it, it pops too, like in person, like looking at the, like, especially the hardcover with the dust jacket. Oh like yeah. It really pops off of the cover. Did any of the writers really surprise you with their stories? Was it maybe with whether it was the intensity or the horror or just the trippiness of it? Well, this was my first time working with Eric LaRocca. La I think that's how you say the name. And uh, his story, I, I was really surprised about how, um, like, I've read a lot of Clive Barker. I had that, just had that Clive Barker feel to it. I really love it. Uh, you know, just really strong and trippy and dreamy. And uh, 
and 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 uh, at times violent. <laughs> I really liked it, you know. I thought it was just a great story. So that that surprised me because I hadn't worked with him, I hadn't read a whole lot of his work. So that was a really good one for me. I was just gonna say um, Lee Murray's story, the Seven Year War, yeah. um, which was like the main character is is dying um from disease and like she kind of goes like back and forth between um dreams and reality but she's she's on like a a D campaign and um so yeah it's it's kind of like it, it i i was taken by surprise by just like the creativity of of how that story developed and and where it went so um yeah, I mean that was that was a cool one to to read because I, I wasn't like really expecting someone to come at it at the dream uh, topic from that perspective. So it was cool. I agree, and I've, I've worked with Lee quite a bit. So yeah, that was a good one. That was surprising. That was great. That was a cool story. I'm curious as to the story that uh, that Todd Keesling made because I spoke to him a couple times before, and his work is so good. Yeah, I've worked with Todd a few times, and so uh, you know his work is pretty consistently decent you know really good stuff so um he was actually a, a an add-on <laughs> for yeah <laughs> him and laurel hightower were add-ons and uh we were worried we weren't going to be able to add them and we had some people come through at the last second and we're able to get their stories and so um and, and you know and i love i love laurel's work as well you know i've worked with her several times and and read and read her uh what's her book about the about the child that uh the the her uh, book that she get that's really popular I forget what it's called now oh crossroads yes crossroads yeah. yeah I just read that not too long ago so but yeah she's got that great feel and that that one even is a little trippy too so um you know really great great book but yeah Todd Todd consistently is just a, a great writer um you know I edited uh, one of the editors I guess you should say for Devil's Creek. So I got I got to read that before everyone. Yeah. <laughs> strong strong writer. Yeah, really. Yeah, good. I love Todd. He's a good guy, and I've known him for a while. And um, yeah, we just we needed some add on writers for stretch goals for the Kickstarter. So he was kind of like our first choice, one of our first choices for that. So um, yeah, he wrote a cool story. It's like uh, it takes place in like a church basement for like um, like a a meeting of uh like it's almost set up like an aa meeting but it's for for people who are dreaming like a very specific dream um and i'm not gonna tell you more about that but that's like the setup <laughs> that that is very much in todd keesling style when you yeah we just said based on church i thought yep yep this is this is this is definitely a todd book i'm pretty sure it's a basement it's some sort of like like aa meeting like group meetup so i'm pretty sure it, it's in a church but Nice, nice. Tim, Ken, thank you guys both for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, folks, if you have not gotten this book already, definitely get yourself a copy. Um, uh, you go to crystallakepub.com, look up Never Wake. It's all there. Of course, Kindle, print, however you like it. Make sure you get yours. And of course, support the authors. If you like their stories, check out other works. It's all there. And guys, thanks again and looking forward to the next conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. So good to have you all here. I'm your host, Max Bone, and of course joining me, as he always does, the riding shotgun partner of mine, Curtis Hughes. Curtis, welcome back, buddy. Thanks, pal, and I appreciate you allowing me to ride shotgun, but um, I seem to have misplaced it, so I'm just going to use this little water pistol that I have, ah. and uh, hope we hope we hope for the best. So. We're talking about the recently released book from Crystal Lake Publishing, Dark Tide 10, The Dead Shall Rise. This is a collection of three really cool zombie stories, and we're talking with the authors. Um, But I do want to mention that, um, sadly, one of the writers, uh, Jay Wilburn, uh, passed away last year. Uh, 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 His story is called Prepare Because Death is Coming. This is a really cool story all about a... It basically uh, takes place 40 years following the fall, the end of the world, the zombie rising. And our main character finds himself in a town called Dry Stretch, warning that a zombie horde is heading their way and they do not seem to give a shit about it. No one's ready. Total just whatever. This sounds like a a really, really cool story. Uh, And joining us to talk about this one and their own stories are... Writers um, Armand Rosamilia and Aaron Lewis, uh, welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you both here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hi. Thanks for having us. Of course. Of course. So uh, to kick this off, I'd like to ask just how this book kind of came to be. Where did the idea come from to do this like zombie, like short story novella trilogy? It came from Joe from Crystal Lake. He had uh, contacted me uh, over a year ago, and he said, uh, "Listen, I'm I want to do you know he's doing a collection of different themes and whatnot." And he said, "I I thought zombies, and I thought of you, and uh, I want you to do this." And I was like, "You know what? I haven't written a zombie book in uh, years, but um, you know, w- w- give me the details." And he said, "Pick two other authors that you want." Uh, to be involved with They're, your stories don't have to be anything together but you know we're, we're looking for really good books and the first couple uh, in this series it started to come out so I knew there was some really good authors and so I immediately said Jay Wilburn uh, Jay and I had written five books together uh, up to that point and um, you know I, I love working with him and Aaron and I had uh, had worked on a crime thriller together Stripper Noir and so I knew she loved zombies. I knew she she was a big fan of zombies. So, you know, Joe was like, perfect. The, the, you know, here's the information. And then the three just basically write some, uh, you know, some some zombie novellas here. So that's that's how it initially came about. So the three of you definitely had like a strong like working background. Um, but were you aware of what you were like working on while you were like writing the stories? Did you ever like talk about, hey, this is where I'm at doing this? Not really. We just kind of went off and, and you know, do do your own thing. And here's kind of the deadline for it. And uh, and that was it. And I mean, Jay whipped up his story uh, really, really quick. I mean, and that was he was he he is uh, probably one of the probably one of my best friends. And he was probably one of the fastest writers I ever knew. I mean, he was amazing. In fact, as we are recording this. Uh, yesterday was the one year anniversary of his passing. So, um, which is, which is, uh, very sad. I had a bad, bad day yesterday. Uh, just thinking about it. We, me and my wife were lucky to have gone to Myrtle beach 
um, and, you know, see him in the hospital right before he passed and everything. So it's, um, I was uh, really happy he, uh, he had gotten his story done. I knew his story was done already. And so I just made sure I said to Joe, did he send it in? Did you get Jay's story? And he's like, yep. So perfect. So that was kind of, that was good that uh, he was still involved. Cause I don't know if I really would have wanted to, you know, to continue if, if Jay wasn't involved. I mean, I love Aaron, but I didn't know if, you know, it would make sense for us to, uh, you know, still do this. I can see that. I can see that. Um, Armand, uh, could you talk um, a little bit about just what is like working uh, with Jay? Because it sounds like the, uh, uh, the, um, the two of you go way back. Uh, yeah, we've we've known each other for 10 or 11 years. Um, more than that online, but we met at World Horror in New Orleans, I think in 2013, I think is when I first met him. And um just a genuine guy. I mean, he was positive about everything and uh, it was good because I'm negative about everything. So, um, you know, I would, we would be, we've done dozens of signings together at different things, scares the care every year and all different things. And I was always sitting at the table, making fun of people coming by. And Jay was always like, no, no. My, my favorite story is this girl was coming by and she was dressed like a hooker. I mean, that's, pretty much what she and she had these bright red f me pumps on you know and i said and she was with another girl and i said you know you think her friend would have said to her hey we're you know we're we're, we're not going to pull tricks tonight we're actually going to a convention and jay right away well maybe those are the only shoes she had and you know i mean maybe she thinks she looks good and he's like making all these excuses and i said chad i'd stop i don't want to hear <laughs> i'm making i'm not saying anything to her i'm making fun because it's amusing me and and I want you to laugh. I'm goofing around, but he was so serious with, um, you know, not not saying anything negative about anybody. But he had such a great dry sense of humor. I mean, he was such a ball buster all the time. So I mean, I would I would be eating a piece of candy. He'd be like, "Really, you're gonna eat? You're gonna eat that? You're just gonna keep eating candy?" And so he's like, "Are you just gonna explode? Is that the goal here?" And I was like, "Shut shut up." <laughs> That's a great friend to have. That's a really cool friend. I actually have my own like personal um ballbuster friend. His name's uh, uh Matt Zappa, and uh, likewise, he he would be just like give me shit, you know, taking shots, but in the end of the day, just a true friend right to the end. Okay. Yeah, that was Jay. Could you give me your take on his story? Because just from the description, this sounds like a really really cool story. I'm gonna be completely honest. I have not read it. Fair enough. I I can't, I can't, I just, I can't read it. Um, I, I did read his story actually. Um, and, uh, I had never met Jay actually in person. Um, back when I published my third book was actually nonfiction and, um, Jay had asked me to do a podcast of his and we actually came from, um, the exact opposite ends of the ideological, um, spectrum. And my book was, um, like I said, kind of on the on the polar end of, of his, um, basically his stance. And what struck me and about Jay and what and and still does today, and it's something that I carry with him because it really softens not only my opinions but my outlook and um, the way that I think about people that hold different beliefs than I do. Um, was that he was so kind and so genuine. 
um, and just his compassion for other human beings. Um, and so in that respect, we, we ended up in the same place, but we came from very different um, starting points and perspectives. Um, and like I said, the, the, the takeaway for me with that one, um, like real, you know, two hour long interaction I had with him was I just kind of adored him immediately. Um, so I was really excited when Armand, um, you know, asked him to token vagina on the project, um, something he's done actually before. <laughs> they really vile <laughs> set of stories we wrote. Uh, Jay was a contributor there too. Um, I was really, really like flattered and honored um, to be able to do that. And then when I found out he passed, it was sort of, for me, it was, um, it sucked because he was very much on my bucket list of people to meet in real life. Um, and so I was really just, you know, I didn't know him personally outside of that. So it was, it was tough. And it, um, I definitely had that in the back of my mind, but I, but I also felt like, um, you know, I wanted to read his story. Um, and his story is very much like um, post-apocalyptic. Um, it's very much about um, kind of what happens, you know, after all of the real, like, you know, the beginning of the zombie stuff and everybody figures it out and, and all that kind of thing. And, and he has a, he actually had a, a one scene that involves a, a breast implant sliding out of a corpse. Um, I haven't been a dancer for the last, um, well, over 20 years, actually. Uh, breast implants happen to be something I know about. And, uh, and so that, that struck me. So it was, um, the story was definitely creepy. Um, and uh, yeah, excellent, excellent story. And like I said, I'm very much honored to, um, to have been able to contribute on this project um, with him. And I, I do, uh, I do wish I could have had the the uh, breast implant conversation with him. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> don't we all want to have that kind of a uh, uh, conversation? I may, you know, be careful what you wish for. Careful what you wish. For. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. Well, you know what? The show is young, so we will see what happens later on. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, it is time to dive into the stories. Uh, so, Curtis, man, the floor is yours. Take it away, buddy. Sure. Uh, Armand, your uh, story, Zombie Diner. Uh, so a family finds themselves on the wrong side of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, I don't know if anybody can be on the right side of a zombie is, apocalypse. Is there a, I guess a, it depends on the... Yeah, I don't think there's a right side, really. Maybe, like, far, far away. Yeah, I, I know in my nightmares, I've never been on the right side of it. So, you know, <laughs> Fair enough. One of those. <laughs> but tell us how your story, um, how the zombie apocalypse begins. So the, the story itself is an older, the skeleton of it is a much older story. Um, I started uh, my zombie series, Dying Days, back in 2009. And it's a nine book series. And I had ended it a few years ago. And I swore I was never going to write any more zombie stuff. And right in the middle, probably around 2012, 2013, a couple other authors had come to me and they said, hey, let's do... Uh, some zombie books and we'll start it at the same place and then we'll just do characters from there so we decided we're going to do a diner in florida and i created the what, what became the the first chapter of this of zombie diner and then the other authors kind of riffed off of that by using other creating their own characters in that diner setting and it all fell apart and one of the authors actually 
unbeknownst to the others, uh, went and had it published by a, his story by a publisher. And that was just like, well, I guess this is over. And I was annoyed. And so I just trunked it. And so when when Joe came to me and said, hey, I want you to, to do this. At first, in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to I don't want to go back. I don't want to do that, you know. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I think I have something. I got to have something. I have, you know, 35 years of stories here. I got to have something that maybe I started. And then I found it on an external drive. And I was like, all right this is this is the story and i i reworked it heavily because thankfully i think my writing has gotten better in the last 10 or 15 years um but the basics the basic story was still there so it was basically this family with a lot of you know problems uh inside the family and uh you know dealing with that and not everything is just oh it's a zombie apocalypse so we're not going to we're not going to fight anymore as a family you know uh, the fact that I've, you know, the husband is a cheater and the wife is a bitch and the kids are little assholes. I mean, that doesn't just magically go away because there's there's zombies trying to kill everybody. So that was me. It was it's always more interesting about the people and how they deal with it rather than, you know, you know, be, being chased in a, you know, in a dark building with the lights flickering and and a zombie might be around the next corner, you know. That haunted house feel was never really my thing. My dying day series is set in Florida. Basically, it's it's you know sunny beaches and there happen to be zombies coming out of the uh, coming out of the surf to kill all the the uh, sunbathers and stuff. So that was kind of the the idea for me. I I want to do something different. I want to set it somewhere that you don't normally you're not really normally going to see you know zombies and monsters and stuff like that. So that was kind of the catalyst, the, the characters themselves, a lot of that stayed the same when I when I rewrote it. A lot of the dialogue was just changed so it sounded better, but the main plot was always was always there. Um, I just never had an ending for it. I think I had like twelve thousand words written, and it ended up being twenty something thousand words. So probably that last, you know, third of the book, I had to figure out. Okay. I'm rewriting this. Where where is this going to go? Where's where's the end going to be on here? And I'm a total pantser, so there's no outlines. There's it's all just all in my head. I'm just writing. So the uh, inspiration for like some of the scenes in the story, I like how the you know the uh, the you begin with uh, the apocalypse in motion, but like what was kind of like the inspiration for um, the scene building. For me, it was I wanted I wanted it to tie into my my you know dying day series without having to use any of those characters or any of those any of those ideas and try just you know for something different. The uh, like I said, the father character was was a lot of fun to write about, and um, the cook uh, pork chop is actually was another great character. Right, there's actually a ball player that played minor league baseball back in the 90s called uh, Pork Chop Pew. And I always thought that that was a cool name, you know, that his nickname was Pork Chop, you know? Where, where, where do you get a name like that? And I figured, you know what, a, a short order cook in a diner, that's a that's a perfect name for him. So that was uh, kind of the, um, that was kind of thing. And the daughter, Isabella, my middle kid is Isabella and she's a little pain in the ass. So that was a, that was a great inspiration uh, to write that character. Just thinking of when she was a teenager, um, all the <laughs> annoying and stupid things that she said, it just kind of fit in really nice. 
Nice. The um, interest in your in the undead. Where did when? How did that come about? When did that start? You know, uh, years ago, it was. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge um, horror movie fan. Okay. I was as a kid. I grew up, you know, watching all the classics and the Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween and all. That. And I really got away from it. I just it got boring for me. So for me, uh, back in like 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. Um, when you know Amazon started and and it was the Wild West and you can literally there was like five zombie books up and uh, I was like I want to write it so I'm going to write a zombie story but I want to read so I started reading stuff and when I found uh, The Rising by Brian Keene that was it I was like this is different this is the way you can make it where it's not just Night of the Living Dead you know dumb moaning monsters and that's kind of the thing so for me it was like let's do something let's try to do something different and when i started reading um you know a lot of these uh stories uh, especially the short story collections then i was like okay we can do something different here and it wasn't uh it wasn't boring like i thought oh, i'm just gonna write some dumb zombie thing and then that'll be it and then i've written you know a million words in in zombie stories so far yeah, you've definitely covered a lot of ground, a lot of genres in your writing. So, like, including, uh, I think, uh, crime thrillers, supernatural thrillers, and even some nonfiction work. Yeah. Um, curious, is there any sort of overlap between those genres and zombies? For me, it's 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 my writing voice. You know, I I realized years ago that whether I'm writing a horror story or a crime thriller story or supernatural, whatever, the you know that you're looking for that first thousand readers and they were more interested in the voice rather than a specific genre they 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 wanted to read about these characters and i realized you know what i can write just about anything and uh, i mean i've ghost written romance military romance books for people i've i've done just about anything but for me it was um just really stay true to you know, my voice in the way that I, you know, you you want to write books that you want to read. That's kind of the the idea. So for me, that's always worked. Um, I'm writing way more crime thriller stuff now than than uh, than horror. I've kind of gotten bored with some of the horror stuff, and the you know the com community is very small and it, it's imploding. You know, every six months and. Um, and let's be honest, this is a I've been full time for over 12 years. And it's it's because of the the money I'm making right now from the crime thriller stuff. I'm making like 10 times the amount of money. And I love writing, I love writing the crime thriller stuff more than the horror now. So it kind of worked out for me. Definitely. Um, so it's like in your catalog, you've got something like 200 stories, right? Yeah, it's like 230 releases or something like that. Wow. Okay. So do you have any methods or writing practices that have become ingrained over time? I do a thing called, um, I call it the Mondo method. And it's write for the first 15 minutes at the top of every hour and, and keep track of that. So I'm doing like 600 to a thousand words. So if I can do that three times a day, then I'm writing, you know, close to 2000 words a day. So my goal is 1096 words a day average which would be 400,000 words for the year most of the years I've gotten to 500 or, or at least close to 500 I also write live on twitch three or four days a week so in the afternoon for like an hour to two hours I got people in the chat room that are jumping in and talking with me and I'm every now and then I'll be like hey I need a 
a name for a school bus driver or something and you know and somebody will throw out a name or something but it's it's the community of talking to you know a dozen people that are are in the chat with me and i'm i'm they can see me and i'm writing and i'm just like you know today i was on and i finished um my 12th and final book in my dirty deeds series so i did it live while people were in there and everybody was like oh that's really cool and i'm like i'm i'm kind of sad now because this is six years I've been writing this series and now it's, you know, now it's over, but tomorrow I, I jump in and I'll just start writing something else. So that's, that's the fun for me of, of doing it. And again, it's not really the, it's not really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the genres and different things. I'm, I'm. Is it my turn, Curtis? Is it my turn now? It's, you go ahead, take it away. Sir. All right. All right. So, so, so now I had the pleasure of talking to Aaron Lewis um, about, uh, about a, her story, which is called dance with the dead. This all starts kind of at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Tiffany is working at the, at the, uh, the strip club, it's another ordinary night. And then someone loses their shit in the, uh, the VIP room. And it, just goes about as south as it, as it usually goes in these uh, situations. And Tiffany is stuck with not really the ideal zombie apocalypse crew, this cocaine-rattled manager and the shady club owner, and she's got to basically stick with them for throughout this uh, this whole thing. So, Aaron, I guess the first question I have is kind of how this whole thing starts. Like, like how does your zombie apocalypse begin? Well, um, basically, she's... Uh... You know, she's giving a dance in the in the uh, VIP room, and she, you know, I don't I don't know how many people are like super familiar with that, but uh, a lot of times you have like semi-private booths, right? So you walk in, and there's, you know, they're they're open mostly, but they're they're also sort of like they're like cubicles. I mean, I used to joke, I you know, <laughs> I left an office job in a cubicle to go work basically in another cubicle. Uh, this one lined with velour, so um. Basically, she starts out, she's giving a dance, and she noticed that he kind of smells sort of funny, and, and that happens from time to time, you know, you get weird cologne or, you know, things like that, people, you know, um, come straight from dinner or whatever, um, but of course, it starts getting weird, um, and then she kind of looks, and, and he, he doesn't look well, um, you know, and he's kind of like sweating, and she's like, okay, well, I just kind of sort of want to get this like over with and, and be done and gone, and, and um he looks like he falls asleep and well, he's not asleep. And then turns out he attacks her and, and he's like, and she's, you know, she's kind of thinking, okay, well, this dude's kind of nutty. Um, whatever, no big deal. She's got these big bouncers, you know, that generally speaking, actually most of them look quite a lot like, um, uh, Armin here. <laughs> uh, um, and so basically, you know, she gets bit and she's like, okay, this is crazy. This dude just bit me, but also sort of not like, you know maybe in like another like profession or or job you would you would sort of be like freaking out but it's like man you disinfect it you know who knows this guy was probably on drugs whatever you know bouncer kind of drags him out there's you know there's some scuffles and and you know he's gone and it feels like everything's you know cool um and so obviously it's, it's like super not cool um and of course one of the bouncers gets bit and people are trying to you know figure out what's up and then you know, Tiffany, for the most part, is um, kind of trying to conceal her bite uh, once she realizes what happens to people that have gotten bit. Um, and for some reason, it, it doesn't seem to be happening to her right away. Um, they retreat to the upstairs office. And, um, 
maybe a tad bit of a stereotype, um, but sometimes stereotypes are based in, um, you know, a, a kernel of truth. Uh, so there's some shady, shady stuff that's going on upstairs. Um, you know, the manager isn't quite sure how to deal with it. Everybody knows that he has a, a um, stimulant use disorder. Um, so it's not really a huge shock when he pulls out these massive sack of like cocaine and pills and stuff. And of course, he's more worried about the pills because he wants everybody awake. We got some scared strippers and we got a stoner DJ who's actually very much based on my all time favorite DJ. Um, and uh, yeah, it kind of goes kind of goes crazy from there. I think I think, um, you know, one of the worst things you would want in a manager who typically would be your leader, right? If you're, if you're in a situation is, is the person you're going to kind of rely on. They're basically the authority. Um, and, you know, once he's like super hopped up on Coke and has access to a bunch of guns, he's not necessarily making the, the best decision. So, so they kind of have to, the people that are, that are, that are left sort of have to pick up the slack. Um, it's funny because usually in these situations, whoever is like in charge of the zombie group is this very noble figure, someone who's very capable and you don't have to worry about them. Instead, nope, drug addled manager with a lot of guns. I'm sure it's end well. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> so why doesn't Tiffany just bolt? I mean, given that she's with the less than like ideal crew here, why doesn't she say, forget about it. I'm going to take care of myself and get out of here. Well, at first she's not really quite aware of what's going on. And plus, she knows she's been bitten. And the other thing is um, because the club is actually owned by some really uh, shady people. Um, the last, and, and this is actually quite, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that a lot of my writing comes based out of my own experiences. And the last thing any club owner or manager and really any of the staff wants is police there. Like really the very last thing. Um, you know, unless it's like really dire, um, by the time she realizes how dire it is, um, they come to find out that the club owner has a way to actually steal off the club. And so there really isn't trying to get out is, is sort of one of the problems, um, she has to, she has to kind of face and they, they all actually have to kind of figure out, um, is how to get out, but they, but yeah, they, they trigger some, um, some sort of like, you know, things to, to where the, the exits are basically sealed. Now, looking at the work you've done, was this your first zombie story? Uh, so not technically. Okay. I have one in the trunk that Armin knows what I'm going to say and he hates it already. And I don't really care. Um, I, I have a zombie story that has been rejected more times than I can count. And I also don't care because I still love it. Um, it was based on a uh, mutual hatred of Brussels sprouts. And so I actually have a zombie story um, where Brussels sprouts are what kicks off the zombies. Basically, it's sort of like a terrorist act. Um, but rather than like um, fighting people, it, you know, it, it spreads from the actual Brussels sprouts. So the people that ate them, first they, they die of some very serious digestive issues, um, which I found hilarious personally. But Armin told me that um, there was nothing appealing about farting zombies. So um, that was technically my first. I, like I said, I thought, maybe it's just my story. And I'll go back and read it and enjoy it and love it myself. But 
But um, that was technically my very first zombie story. It will be different. I think it's a very different zombie story. So <laughs> it validates my ill will and hostile attitude towards Brussels sprouts. I, I was thinking yeah, the same and, thing. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, they, they're a horror show in themselves. Exactly. And, and, and the fact that they lead to the end of the world totally called it. Saw coming to my I life. mean, that, that was my thought. Yeah. Right. That, that was my thought. So maybe, maybe I'll try submitting it again. You know what? Broccoli. Maybe <laughs> now, maybe... That, now that I've been validated. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Don't give up. Don't give up. Fight on. <laughs> Now, as you I've mentioned before, uh, you've worked in the adult entertainment business for about uh, about uh, twenty years, and this is frequently factored into your stories. How does that, I guess, influence how the story goes? It, you know, I started writing nonfiction about dancing, um, and uh, it's all. I mean, it pretty much influences almost everything I write. Um, a lot of a lot of times, because you know, people aren't necessarily. Um, privy to the inside workings, um, the social dynamics, um, and all that kind of stuff of the strip club. So for me, it's sort of um, it's sort of getting a more accurate story out there, even even through my fictional stories. Um, like in Dance with the Dead, you know, there's a certain amount of camaraderie that happens, um, basically around this, you know, this whole like traumatic event. Um, and of course, you know, she, she has a, a nemesis, the Glitter Queen. Actually, I, I hate Glitter just about as much as I hate Brussels sprouts. Um, so that's generally a running theme. Because <laughs> it's like, it, it really is like, it's like herpes, man. You think it's gone and then all of a sudden it like shows back up and it's like in the worst place at like the most inconvenient time ever. Um, but uh, not that I know anything about herpes. But uh, yeah, it really does... Um, a lot of so a lot of those experiences, and especially when I'm imagining scenes or I'm imagining the way that conversations go or personal dynamics happen, it really draws um, on you know my two decades of of experience doing them. Um, it's a very unique, outside the mainstream uh, thing. So I really enjoy being able to to insert those experiences into my stories, nonfiction or fiction. Do you want to ask this question? Oh, I'm almost afraid of the answer, though. Have you had the experience with a coke-addled uh, club manager? Okay, so coke is something that was pretty, um, pretty prolific, but generally kept on the down low. And it wasn't I like I talk too much anyway, and I've always been leaning more towards like weed. <laughs> and I'm from California, so that sort of track. But um, so I was never really in those cliques that really did that. Um, I know that back in the day when I first, first started, um, it wasn't so much Coke as it was, um, like speed. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure I had a manager that was, that was into that at one point, but, um, Lenny in my story is, is not necessarily based on anybody. Well, I would say pretty much all the other characters are, I had a, a certain, maybe I had people that influenced those ideas and those characters i would say lenny is kind of straight from my imagination um but i but i i needed him um for 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 certain scenes i really i really needed him okay um and i needed him to be doing that amount of blow <laughs> <laughs> really really central to to the uh the overall like story right it, it, it kind of was so thanks lenny 
Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lenny. Appreciate that, buddy. All right. So let's talk scenes because, of course, with the zombie story, you're going to have zombie kill scenes, whether it's killing people or zombies. I'm curious with your story, do you have a particular scene that's like, this is my scene? It has to stay no matter what? Oh, yeah. Um, um, that actually involves Lenny and, and the stripper pole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. When he, yeah, that's, um, I'm not sure. I don't know how much I can say without like, like giving a huge spoiler, but, but yeah, I needed him to, um, yeah, I, I, once, once he, you know, got all his false, uh, chemically induced bravado and was able to have access to the weapons and thought he was going to be, you know, Rambo. Um, and Scarface sort of like mixed together. Um, yeah, it's it's where he goes down to actually go and wreck shop and fix everything and take care of everything, and um, and basically gets trapped at the the stripper pool. That was my that was that. If had they questioned me on that one, I would have I would have fought tooth and nail. As well, you should. Um, was there a particular zombie story, movie, comic, what have you, that really got you like into the genre in the first place? Yeah, when it came to, I mean, when it comes to like reading, actually, um, Brian Keene, uh, The Rising was was a big one for me. Um, also, I, when I first met Armin, I was super sketchy about this guy who like hit me up on the internet, and so I read, um, <laughs> I read some of his stories. I really, really enjoyed um, uh, his zombie uh, stories. Um, I've always liked zombies as far as horror went. Like I grew up with like the eighties horror movies and I grew up Stephen King was like basically my first crush pretty much. And uh, the thing that I always really liked about zombies in particular was kind of like what Armin was talking about, where it's the logistics, it's the figuring out the strategizing, the having to either compromise, the having to come up with resources or be resourceful um, that's what I always really liked about the zombie stories. That and the fact that there's like there's no way that they can be real ever. So I can be scared and I can be terrified and I can live in that world and I can, you know, be immersed in the rotting dead body horror aspect of it, the gore and all that stuff. And then I can like leave it and go, oh, by the way, zombies can't really happen. Um, so it's it's one of those things where as opposed to like true crime which i also I, I do really like crime um thrillers and all that kind of stuff you know that stuff can actually be really scary because it can really like most of that time that's that's plausible but when it comes to like zombies uh in particular you know you can you can have all the gore and all the scary stuff and all the gross out and and all that like fear and anxiety but then you can sort of like leave it at the door granted it still does give me nightmares so that might there might be there might be a small hole in my theory because when i do have nightmares they're either snakes or zombies <laughs> well you, you know you say they can't happen Aaron, but i have seen the actual footage of yeah, this kind of insect that basically hollows out its prey and then takes it over to kind of spread its young around. So, uh, I don't know. Z zomb zombie people, maybe not, but zombie bugs. Yep, that's definitely a thing. It's friggin' terrifying to watch. Someday we're going to have farting zombies attacking us. That's what's going to uh, happen. I guess so, yeah. I guess, yeah. Maybe, who, who knows? Thank you, Armin. I'm sending him to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, 
it'll happen and we'll be like, Aaron was right the entire time. Oh my God. All the publishers think, God, we should have published your story. <laughs> We're all doomed because of our, because of our just like short sighted attitudes. Ah, all right. Well, folks, we are, are coming down to the end of the episode and everything you've heard here, get yourself a copy of this book, guys. You go to crystallakepub.com. You'll find everything. There are so many books and you can check out these wonderful writers works at armandrosamilia.com. It'll all be in the links and aaronlewis.com. And Armand, Aaron, thank you both for joining us. It's, it, um, it's been really cool talking to you and talking zombies, learning all about these great stories. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me us on. And with that, we bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, check us out on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. You can catch this and all your favorite episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And new episodes are added every week, as well as on Boston Free Radio every Saturday at 10 p.m. You get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com if you want to suggest a guest, submit your music, or just drop us a line. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.